Hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 302 of Sustainable Minimalists, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. On today's show, I am attempting a really difficult task, which is to answer a listener's question about how to help our children care about stuff just the right amount. Now, if that makes no sense to you, I'm going to read listener Christine's question. I should say, hello, Christine. Christine is not just a listener. She's also a friend. So hello, Christine. Thank you for this question, or not so thank you, because your question is really darn deep. So Christine wrote to me, and she said, and I quote, it feels like much of the time I'm trying to tell my kids that material possessions aren't that important, but also to take care of the possessions they have since we spent time and money to research and buy and take care of them. For example, I spent a lot of time researching the right water bottle for my six-year-old son, so I want to teach my son to take care of it. But then I'm also telling him to value experiences and not care so much about material possessions like toys. How should I best juggle these messages and still get my points across in a broader sense? Thank you, Christine. Phew. Am I right? On the one hand, we want our children to value stuff less, as in we don't want our kids to become unconscious consumers who are materialistic. But at the same time, we want them to take care of what they do own. So on today's show... I am attempting to give you the tips and tricks you need to help your children care about their stuff just the right amount. There is a sweet spot in the middle, and that's where we're going today. Now, let me just say off the bat two things. First of all, I am a hot mess parent. I am not a perfect parent, and some days I'm not even a halfway decent (laughs) parent if I'm being 100% honest. So I am not the authority by any means, but I am going to try my darndest to marry research, so what research has found, with what is currently working for me (laughs) in my own home. Let's get into tip one. Surprise to no one. This is a show about minimalism, so let's get it right out of the way. Tip number one for teaching your kids to live in that sweet spot between not caring enough and caring too much is to not own too many things. It always starts here, doesn't it? Minimalism is the answer to so many of our problems. Owning less is the solution to the stress and overwhelm we tend to feel when it comes to household maintenance. Minimalism is one of the many solutions when it comes to decreasing our negative environmental impact. Minimalism is also the solution for teaching our children to care about their stuff just the right amount. As I was researching for this episode, I came across a quote in an article on fatherly.com. And yes, by the way, I do read dad blogs occasionally. The quote said, quote, kids can easily be awash in a surplus of riches they don't particularly appreciate, end quote. I'm going to say that again because it really just hits home (laughs) the problem. In 2022, kids can easily be awash in a surplus of riches they don't particularly appreciate. What is the solution to this surplus of riches? The solution, of course, let's work smarter, not harder, is to rein in the surplus 
of riches. You don't have to be extreme about it. You don't have to be an extreme minimalist, but you certainly can if you want to be. Just aim to own fewer things because when your children have fewer items, they naturally are going to care for and love on deeper the items they do have. When they have fewer stuff, they will treasure their stuff. They will treasure each one even more. This is the same for adults, right? I've talked about my crazy teapot collection on this show often. (laughs) I used to collect teapots when I traveled, which was totally ridiculous because I don't even drink tea. But I, over the years, accumulated a lot of teapots. And when I had a lot of teapots, when I had a collection of teapots, I didn't appreciate the individual teapots. (laughs) I couldn't see the teapots for their unique and individual and respective beauty. All I saw was the collection. But when I got rid of the excess and I only displayed my favorites, I allowed, I enabled those favorites, those few favorites to shine so that I could then truly appreciate them. It's the same with kids and it's the same with their possessions. When they have fewer items, it will also be easier for little kids especially, to practice being responsible. I have a five-year-old. She's my youngest. And she has trouble putting away a playroom's worth of toys. That's a lot of toys. But if she only has, let's say, eight toys to play with, it is much easier for Lada, my five-year-old, to practice flexing that responsibility muscle. As a parent, I believe that parenting is really about setting the stage, so to speak, doing the background behind the scenes work, providing the setting for our children to practice the skill we're trying to instill in them over and over again. So how do we set the stage behind the scenes? We give them less in the first place. So that's tip number one. Surprise to nobody. You knew it was going to be in there. So let's get it out of the way. Tip number two, it might likely be a surprise. And that is to not reward good behavior with a thing. Let's talk about research for a minute. What does research find about materialism? Research finds that two main parenting practices contribute to materialistic beliefs in children and later into children who become adults. Parenting practice number one is rewarding children. So paying your child for good grades or promising them a new high interest toy if they do well in soccer or in school, that likely teaches them that material goods are the ultimate goal. And parenting practice number two is taking away possessions as a consequence. So taking away a beloved item, separating your child from belongings as a punishment often teaches kids that they need their material possessions to feel good. So what is tip number two all about? It is about taking the emphasis off of stuff. So when your child does something really great and you feel they need a reward, perhaps you reward with an intangible, a good old intangible instead, like your attention or with your words of praise or by making a big deal out of the good behavior. But don't create an association between doing something good and getting a thing, if you can help it. Certainly, sometimes you can reward with a thing, but in general practice, don't. 
Related to this is don't motivate your child with a thing. So there are a lot of children out there, they need a good old-fashioned motivation to perform a desired behavior. If your child is one of those children who really do shine when there is external motivation, motivate them perhaps with an experience instead, a family outing, a staycation, a game night a trip to the movies, emphasis off of a thing and emphasis on an experience, which ideally you all do together. So just so we're all on the same page, the prize box at school that you and I had in elementary school, that is motivation with a thing. A pizza party or a movie, if the whole class passes their spelling test, that's motivation with an experience. So less prize box, more pizza party. Similarly, don't enforce a consequence by taking away a beloved thing. When you take away a beloved item, what you're really doing is you're making the item seem more special in the eyes of your child. So don't take away their Game Boy. First of all, are Game Boys even a thing anymore? Game Boy? Circa 1992? (laughs) Is it a Switch? A Nintendo Switch? I don't know. Let's go with Game Boy because I'm a child of the 80s and 90s. Don't take away their Game Boy. Take away, hopefully, an experience that they like, like playing with their friends after school. Take away that instead. Related to all of this is don't buy your children's gifts just because. Showering our kids with gifts as a token of our love often will teach them that being loved is the same as getting presents. We show love with a thing. I know this can be very hard for many parents, and especially parents who didn't grow up with a lot when they were kids themselves. If you can, step away from this habit of showing love by buying a thing. Think about the ways in which you can show your child that you love them without a tangible. Because when we show love with stuff, and once in a while it's fine, once in a while it's fine, but if we're talking about habits for 18 years worth of parenting, When we show our love over and over again with a thing, what we're really doing is we are teaching our child to become an adult that connects love with an item. And as we all know, because we are all very smart, love is not at its fundamental root about presence, is it? Presence with a (laughs) T-S. It's about presence with a C-E. It's not about presence with a T-S. Whew. All right. So now we're on to tip three, three of six. Tip number three is to decrease the frequency by which you bring your children into stores. And related, when you do bring them into stores, don't buy them stuff. Now, it's story time. There's a lot of stories in today's episode. I should have said that on the outset. But my five-year-old, Lada, she is going through a phase. Oh, my goodness. It is the phase which many parents have experienced, the phase in which every time we go into a store, she begs and cries and whines for a new shiny item. This is a terrible phase. And what I do, my go-to practice is, again, work smarter, not harder, just bring her into fewer stores. I do not bring her into stores if I can help it. But that said, there is always the occasion by which we need to go into a store and then she has a major meltdown because I'm not buying her a thing. So 
I'm not saying the answer is just never bring your young child into a store, because if you never bring them into a store, you're never providing the setting, you're never doing the behind the scenes work, you're never setting the stage for them to learn, for you to teach. However, bringing them into stores with less frequency is certainly a prudent choice. Okay. Why would you bring them into stores not that often? Research shows that overindulged kids may likely grow up to be dissatisfied and even display narcissistic traits. So if you bring your children into stores and you buy them an item most of the times you go, I say we need to stop that habit right this instant. You do not need to give an excuse if you don't want to. You can just calmly say no. If you do have the energy and the mental space to explain why you're not buying a toy for them that day, I certainly suggest you do that, but you don't have to. A simple no is enough because you are in charge and you run the show and the little people who are crying and whining and creating a scene, they're trying to overtake you, but you are not overtakeable. Make sure you apply the I'm not buying anything parenting go-to Make sure you apply that to all the things. Young kids do not know the difference between a $300 camera and a pack of gum, right? All they know at the end of the shopping trip is that they got something. So don't buy them even a small thing at the checkout counter if the child doesn't need it. Remain consistent. Now, I should say, if this is a change in behavior for you, like if every time you go to a store, you buy your child something, or most times, it would not necessarily be the wisest choice to stop doing that without a conversation first. You're going to need to, again, have that conversation before you suddenly change your strategy. Talk to them about your change. Talk to them about why you are no longer buying them an item at Target. Have a pep talk even so as to limit confusion. Now, I should say, I've already said, but I'll say it again, I do not bring my children into stores if I can help it. But when I do, you can best believe that I am having a pep talk in the car with my five-year-old about why we're not buying anything in the store for them. I talk about why we're at the store, what we're getting, who we're getting it for, the end, so that there is a plan in place so that I am setting the expectations at the front end. The good news here is I also have an eight-year-old. And I know through my eight-year-old's behavior, now that she's eight, that if you stop indulging in your child's wants at the store and you remain consistent about it, over time, they will stop asking. My eight-year-old doesn't even ask anymore. She will look, she will stop, she will appreciate the things on the shelves, but she's not asking because she doesn't need to ask. She already knows the answer. Now, again, this is not a new tip. I'm sure you've heard it a bazillion times. So I'm not saying this is like a new cool tip. I'm saying it as a reminder to parents who struggle with children who have meltdowns in stores like I do. If all else fails, your kid's throwing a tantrum, everybody's staring at you, you're getting evil looks from all the parents with the well-behaved kids. If all else fails, don't forget, try the picture strategy. Have them take a picture on your phone of the item they want. This almost always works for me because my daughter establishes ownership of the item she wants via the photo, and at the end of the day, nothing's purchased, nothing comes home with us. Okay, so that's tip three. Now we're moving on to tip four. 
which is, this really gets into Christine's question. When your child does lose or does misplace or does destroy something, don't rush to replace it. I know this is really hard, isn't it? This is hard. Don't replace it. Now, why? What is the purpose of this tip? If your child knows that their item will be replaced if they lose or abuse or destroy it, they won't learn to respect their stuff. So don't rush to replace. Now, Christine, in your question, you mentioned your son's water bottle that you spent a lot of time researching, you spent a decent amount of money on, etc. I have a similar story. Again, story time. Lots of stories in today's episode. My five-year-old, Lada, she went to camp this summer and she brought her trusted water bottle. It was similarly a water bottle that I spent a lot of time researching. I spent my hard-earned money on. It was plastic-free. It had all the qualities that meant something to me. I didn't want her to lose it. This is a reusable item that I'm hoping that we would keep for the long haul. Wouldn't you know, she lost it at camp. (laughs) She lost it. I wasn't thrilled. She wasn't happy with herself either. And she certainly was really unhappy when she realized that I wasn't rushing to the store or to Amazon to replace it. The next day at camp, she needed a water bottle. She had to take the old scratched babyish water bottle that we had in the back of the cabinet to camp. After a few days of taking that scratched baby water bottle to camp, she took it upon herself to go to the lost and found a few days later and she found her water bottle. So let your child experience the natural consequences associated for not caring for their stuff. I have a friend. She bought her daughter a brand new bike for her birthday, for the daughter's birthday. Brand new, shiny, beautiful bike. The daughter left the bike parked in the driveway behind my friend's car. So she did not put her bike away. She was not caring for her shiny, beautiful new item. My friend, when she went to go to work the next morning, backed up. So in her car, she backed her car into the bike, broke the front wheel, and dented the frame of the bike. The daughter, of course, was so upset with this natural consequence associated with not putting her bike away. My friend, so proud of my friend, she was also crushed because she spent a lot of money on this new bike. She wanted it to last, and now the front tire is ruined. The frame is dented. Oh, my goodness. Tears all around. Everybody's crying about this. My friend, she did not buy a new bike for her daughter. Instead, she took a bike wheel that somebody had. I don't even know how she acquired this bike wheel, but it was a different color than the other bike wheel. So one wheel, one tire, I should say. One tire is white. The other tire in the back is black, but the new tire worked fine. The tire went on the bike. Now she's got a white tire, a black tire. The frame is still woefully dented, but the bike is still rideable. Those are natural consequences associated with not putting her bike away. When you rush to replace, you remove the opportunity for natural consequences to be teachable moments. So, okay, now we're moving on to tip number five, which is to make buying a last resort for the entire household. What do I mean by that? I mean, make sure you are practicing what you are preaching. Just a few weeks ago, I was getting my children ready for back to school. And part of my 
routine at the start of a new school year is to sit down with both my daughters one by one and go through the clothes in their room. My mom made me do this as a kid. Hi, mom, if you're listening. It was the worst experience of my life. I hated it as a child, but I see the value in it now, which is it makes you know what you have. It makes you get rid of what needs to go. It makes you take inventory, so to speak, and it prevents you from buying stuff you don't need. Okay, so let's take my eight-year-old, Ani. Went into her room. We took everything out of her drawers, everything out of her closet. We tried everything on one by one. I did my best to make it fun. There were no tears, so I think I succeeded in that regard. I aimed for each daughter to have five to eight-ish pairs of pants with no holes in them that actually fit all the way down to the ankles. I aimed for five to eight long sleeve shirts that weren't stained, one or two sweatshirts, etc. You get the picture. So not a capsule wardrobe, so to speak, but enough clothes in decent condition to get through the school year. Did the same with my younger daughter. At the end of this inventory taking, I learned, I informed myself that my daughters did not need new clothes for the school year. One daughter may need some fleece pajamas as the months get colder, but that can wait a little bit. I could even ask a grandparent to get that for a holiday present, a Christmas present. And so I don't need to do any back to school shopping for them this year. That's a great win. But my point here is that if my children aren't getting new clothes at the start of the new season, then I shouldn't either. If buying for my children, if buying new for my children is a last resort, then buying new also has to be a last resort for me. Because what would it be teaching them if they saw a package arrive at the doorstep with new clothes for me, with new yoga pants, with new sweatshirts, with fancy schmancy new things for me? What would that be teaching them? That would undo the we don't need new stuff lesson that I taught them, hopefully, in the inventory taking process. So model the values you are trying to instill. Because when it comes to parenting, I don't know much about parenting. But what I do know is that a lot of the teaching happens when we're not actively teaching, but when we're passively and quietly modeling the behavior we'd like to instill, right? Now, a 2015 study that was published in the Journal of Consumer Research found that children who became materialistic in their teenage and adult years had adopted two main beliefs in their childhood. The first belief is that owning high-quality things in big numbers, so owning a lot of fancy things, is the definition of success. They learned that in their childhood. They adopted that belief. And the second belief that they adopted as children, which they took into teenage and adulthood years, is that acquiring certain fancy products makes people more attractive. Two really strong beliefs adopted in childhood, which likely were not instilled on purpose by their parents, but instead quietly, silently modeled. And so then the children developed them based on the parents' behavior. So if we don't want our children to believe that having a lot of high quality things is the definition of success, then we need to de-emphasize having a lot of high quality things for ourselves. And if we don't want our children to adopt the belief that certain products make 
them more attractive, then we need to model behavior by which we don't put emphasis on stuff as a means of making us more attractive. The solution is, of course, to model behaviors that de-emphasize material items. So again, make sure you're practicing what you are preaching. Now, of course, there are times in life when we need to buy items for our children. We're going to take a second break. And when we come back, I have two tips for you as to how exactly to buy new for your children. We'll be there after a quick word from our sponsors. And we are back. Let's just get right into it because this is a long episode. I just keep talking. Let's get to the point. We're at the point in today's show where I have a couple tips for you with regard to how to act, what to do, what to emphasize when you do buy new for your children. And the first tip for you is to, when you do buy new, make it a teachable moment. Now, I should say, first and foremost, that when you buy new less often, you are naturally making the event special without you ever having to do anything differently. Less frequency of an event makes the event more special. So include your child in the purchasing process. For older kids, you can talk about the materials that the item's made of. You can teach about how to choose a sustainable option. You could comment on the fact that their new jacket is made from recycled polyester, what that means, why that's important, etc. For older kids too, you can also talk about money. You can talk about budgeting. I believe wholeheartedly that money skills are not taught all that well here in the United States. So in United States schools, I should say. So when you feel as though your child is developmentally ready to have a conversation about the value of money, you can teach them those very important life lessons in these instances in which you're buying something new. You can start instilling conscious consumerist principles. This costs X dollars and it's made from this material. Does that sound like a good value to you? Is this where and how we want to spend our hard-earned money or not? I should say also that it's very important to make the purchasing of something new sort of special. Give your child a choice if it's within reason. Make sure the item that you are spending your hard-earned money on is something your kid wants and loves and needs and will indeed use. My eight-year-old Ani, at the start of summer, she needed a new bathing suit. I bought and returned three bathing suits before we settled on the one that she loved. I really wanted her buy-in on the bathing suit because if she's only going to have two bathing suits for the entire summer, it's on her to care about them enough to have that feeling of attachment to the thing, enough attachment to the thing so that she takes care of those two bathing suits so that she doesn't lose them because if she only has two and she knows that the house rule is to not go out and rush to replace an item, then she then also knows by default that she has to take care of her two bathing suits. She's empowered to take care of the bathing suits because the flip side, the not taking care of the bathing suits, means that she doesn't have a bathing suit to use when she swims in the swimming pool. So get your children's buy-in. Make it a teachable moment for younger kids Make it a somewhat special moment. I mean, I'm not saying bring out the balloons. I'm not saying go over the top with it, but do make it a special moment. And by doing it less, you're first and foremost doing the most important thing, 
by with which to make it special. My final tip for you is that when you do buy, is to buy the best you can afford. Buy quality if you can afford it. Quality stuff will last longer, which means you'll be putting the emphasis on caring for existing stuff instead of buying new but cheap stuff that's going to inevitably break, which means then you'll have to buy more. When you buy the best you can afford, you're teaching your child the importance of caring for what you already own. The solution is internal. And what I mean by that, it's it's an in-house solution. The solution is not found externally. The solution is not found in a store. The solution is not using, abusing, destroying, and then going to that external store and replacing it. The solution is not as simple as buying again and again. The solution is being conscious and intentional about what you choose to bring in and then caring for it so it lasts for the long term. When you buy quality, when you buy the best you can afford, you are naturally reducing the frequency by with which you'll need to buy stuff because you're buying stuff made to last. My final word for you today is that finding the sweet spot between caring too much about stuff and not caring enough about stuff lies in the quiet and simple things that we do as parents every single day. It's not about some grandiose one-and-done event. It is about those smaller habits that we model and we enact every single day that over a childhood, over 18 years, add up to something big, to a big impact. So what are these small habits? Well, we just talked about six of them, but a couple more for you. Practice gratitude. Get in the habit of that, even though it sounds corny. In my house, practicing gratitude is not this big, grandiose event. It's as simple as when I say goodnight to my children, when I go in and kiss them goodnight. With each child, we talk about a couple things we're grateful for. If it feels right, we say thank you to the higher power for these blessings. That's practicing gratitude. It doesn't have to be this big thing. It's just about stopping, pausing, being grateful for what we have. It's also about small habits like focusing on quality time together, focusing on family experiences, focusing on the real and true and good and meaningful and simple in life. Game nights, staycations, talking around the dinner table. It's also about modeling generosity, modeling the value of people and relationships over stuff. It's just about quietly doing all these things every single day for 18 years, big impact. So play the long game. Know that in this instance, in this very particular parenting problem balancing act in which you you want them to lie flat in the middle of this spectrum, the long game is all you have. The long game is going to work in your favor. Again, small daily habits practiced over 18 years add up to something huge. I so hope this helped you, Christine, and all my fellow listeners, my fellow parents who are struggling with this. If you have some strategies that we didn't talk about today that are really working well in your home right now, I want to hear them. I will put them in another episode. So send them my way. Emails in the show notes, voicemails in the show notes. Speaking of voicemail, I got a voicemail eco tip this week. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Kim and I'm calling with an eco tip. 
this weekend, I lost my reading glasses and I went back. It was like a five minute drive and I couldn't find them. And my husband said, I wish I was there with you because, you know, I'm better at finding things. And thinking about that, I decided this morning, first of all, that I would run there and not use the car. I started looking a little deeper and I found actually it had fallen in between the wood planks on the bench I was sitting and buried in grass. So I hadn't seen it the first time. A lot of times we lose things and we don't always try and find them as hard as we could. And then when people find them, they just throw it away. So trying harder, I think, can help unnecessary purchases. And also thinking about my glasses, I was so interested in getting those back because I really love those frames. And I remember when I was getting them filled, I at first said, oh, I want glass that look exactly like my old ones. And the person helping me, when we couldn't find it, she's like, why don't you just replace the lens? And so I think a lot of the times we think we need to replace the whole glasses. But if you have frames you like, once you change your prescription, they're obsolete. You can just reuse them. So those are my two two eco tips today. Thanks. I will see you on Tuesday. Take care, my friends.